1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, I'm traveling again today, so I'm in a hotel room. I've uh, just had breakfast and it's kind of deadline day for the podcast, so I've been scratching around trying to get this one uh, done for you. Hopefully it comes out okay. Uh, But today I really want to talk about property bubbles and uh, how we can spot them, and what we should do, or rather what we can do to protect ourselves against them. So um, it's been on my mind a bit, um, not necessarily because I'm in fear of a bubble coming, but um, mainly because of uh, my uh, episode last week on Bitcoin. And it kind of started to make me think that Bitcoin might be in something of a bubble or heading in that direction. So I, it gave me an inspiration, if you like, to talk about property bubbles. So that's the purpose of today's show. So in addition to talking about uh, property bubbles and how we can safeguard, if you like, against those happening, I also want to share with you um, at least one way in which we can find some great property deals that can help protect against some of the potential impacts of a property bubble. And uh, for example, by adding value, seeking higher returns or taking profit as we go along the journey instead. So stick with me um, uh, to hear all about that. But right now, let's get on with the show.
0: Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with property chatter.
1: I I guess it's appropriate. I'm going to make a couple of references uh, here throughout the show today. So let's just make, make, you know, get them out of the way in the first place. So many of you would have heard of the 18-year property cycle. Uh, So I'm going to refer to some of the aspects of that throughout this, um, rather than each time I mention it. But there is a thing. It's called the 18-year property cycle, and um, it, it. you know, The evidence would suggest that averages of uh, property cycles seem to span somewhere between 15 and 20 years. They're not exactly 18 every 18 years. So there's a slight bit of variation, but there's an amazing amount of consistency as well. If you look at that, just look up Homer Hoyt. Um, who uh, identified these patterns, if you like, of uh, and he was a U.S. Uh, based economist, and he looked he identified some of the patterns of the property cycle in the U.S. market, and the similar exercise that is be, has taken place in the U.K. market as well, and um, almost you know pretty consistently over the, over several hundred years actually, uh, with one or two uh, exceptions. So I'm going to reference that. The other thing is something called Minsky's theory of financial instability, which dates from 1986, but um, uh, certainly applied in 1986 but it's equally applied since then as well. So we'll talk a little bit about that. So there's a couple of reference points if you like that you can look at if you want to study uh, property cycles and bubbles that kind of thing. But let's get into identifying what are some of the signs of a property bubble. So I'm going to go through a bit of a list if you like and I will come back to this later but suffice to say that One of these in isolation or even a couple don't necessarily mean we're automatically in a property bubble. Um, it's more about trending or grouping or an accumulation of things so uh, I'll come back to that later on but if you when I when I mention some of these for example increases in interest rates you might go oh my goodness me we've just had a rise in interest rates we're about to have a proxy bubble no it doesn't automatically mean that so sometimes I'm going to give you some indicators but we have to piece the, you know it's pieces of a puzzle we have to put them together and see the pattern or the picture that's emerging before we can conclude yes it's likely we're in a property bubble and therefore we need to do something about that. So (laughs) when you hear any one of these, don't panic in other words. So the the first sign of a bubble, if you like, that I'm going to mention, is uh, if we've got rising property prices without necessarily increased fundamentals. So what I mean by this is, well, if you imagine rental returns um, and mortgage affordability as some key uh, indicators, um, then that, that's what I mean. So if rental returns are starting to drop dramatically and prices are rising, it could suggest that prices are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because people expect a minimum level of return or at least an average level of return. So if those returns are starting to squeeze, it would suggest that prices are outstripping the returns that are available in the market. And that's going to put pressure on the house price. And similarly with the, uh, so that's more from an investor point of view. And from a homeowner point of view, if mortgage affordability, and when I talk about affordability, a lot of people have been focused on income multiples, you know, four, five, six times income and seeing house prices, you you know, stretching that income multiple it's not necessarily that one it's the actual mortgage cost as a percentage of take-home pay that's the the better measure really of mortgage affordability for the homeowner market but once we see that starting to increase dramatically then you know household finances are becoming squeezed and there's less ability to afford higher prices it puts pressure on prices and therefore it could lead to a drop so one of the things you could look at here is what's called the case Schiller Home Price Index. And uh, he, he does a lot of work on, on affordability and tracking and tracking bubbles, if you like, in that sense. So, but I think a more realistic measure is uh, average wage inflation versus house price growth. So uh, I tend to look at that, what are wages doing, what's house prices doing, what is therefore people's ability to uh, maintain the mortgage payments over an extended period of time. And and a similar measure could be with rental inflation, rent increases um, versus house price uh, increases. They don't always track 100%, so this can be a little bit of a lag. For example, you could see a burst in house prices. Uh, and nothing really happening in the rental market, and then rents start to catch up a little bit later. So there could be a, a one or two year lag, you know, in that sort of uh, analysis taking place. But keep an eye on those sorts of metrics to see what's happening. And obviously, if those gaps start to widen, it's perhaps you know it means go looking for other clues. Is really what it means. The second point is where there's extremely heavy use of leverage. Uh, so this is things like this easy credit underwriting by the banks. Uh, we have got high loan-to-values. You might remember 100% loans back in the day. Um, you might not remember, but you know it was 10 years now since the last uh, financial crisis, so memory starts to fade. Um, now, easy credit, self-certification. Excuse me, self-certification mortgages, interest-only home loans, uh, particularly for homeowners. Uh, same-day remortgaging, uh, other financial innovation, as they call it. That's coming out uh, are all indicators that perhaps you know there's too much debt and the debt is fueling the asset price in this case the property price uh, too much. another indicator is that the we've got an underpriced cost of money uh, and actually we have had an underpriced cost of money because we've had historically low interest rates now for a decade. Uh, even with the latest uh, increase that we've seen, it's still you know very, very low, very, very affordable and uh, out of keeping with uh, historical averages, which have averaged around about 5% interest rate. So around about half a percent bank base rate, it's very underpriced. So um, are we in a bubble because we've got low interest rates? Not necessarily. As I mentioned, it's an accumulation of different things. Political intervention is another key characteristic. and. You know, this, this happens probably more so in, in uh, sort of more communist regimes. So like China, for example, you can probably see this happening a lot more clear cut than in, in some of the Western economies. But even in Western economies, you can see things like relaxed re- regulation and, and lending policy. You might think it's uh, in a different direction right now and it probably is with the mortgage market review and the prudential regulation authority and stress testing of mortgages and portfolio landlord you know, checks and all of that sort of stuff is kind of the reverse so it's kind of trying to avoid a bubble right at this moment but if you cast your mind back to around about 2007 What was it like then, you know, since the 80s? There has been a long run of relaxed um, regulation in the banking industry. And of course, it led on to a lot of financial innovation. It led on to easy credit and that kind of thing. So we don't have it right now, uh, but keep an eye on that one. But other potential indicators could be quantitative easing and currency manipulation. Yes, we've got a little bit of quantitative easing going on, you might notice. But does that automatically mean we have a bubble? Well, possibly have a, some kind of bubble but not necessarily a housing bubble but I don't want to get too much into the detail but QE is not directly fueling house prices it's more other asset types but um, I think if there's a lot of you know money being pumped into the economy a lot of asset prices are going to increase beyond what what they realistically should be so keep an eye on that so they're the they're the main ones that kind of come out time and time again Prices, you know, rising ahead of fundamentals, heavy use of leverage and political intervention, intervention even. But then we've got some other things. So uh, excessive risk taking being one. So here's where you've got people speculating on price growth without actually adding any value and perhaps with a single exit strategy uh, and adopting what's called bigger fall theory. So you probably saw this round about 2006, 2007, people piling into off-plan, uh, you know, for even flipping the off-plan property before it was built. Um, you know, house prices have been going up consistently for five years or so, six years at that point in time. And it's like, well, I'll just sell it on to the next guy type of thing. And of course, at some point in time, around about 2008, in fact, 2009, it all went a little bit pear-shaped, and uh, you know the the bigger four was the one, last one holding the property, of course. So um, yeah, so if you just got one exit, you're speculating on house price growth without actually doing anything to earn the money. Um, you know, you possibly in this excessive risk-taking territory. I'm not saying you are doing this, but if you observe a lot of people doing this sort of thing, it's part of the pattern, if you like. Then we have, if you like, what's called the narrative that's played out in popular culture. What that means in reality is that if you go go down the pub uh, or you go to a dinner party or you're sat in a a, a cab and everyone is talking about property, you know there's something not quite right. Um, If everyone's talking about it, everyone's talking about making money from it, yeah, it's a big warning sign because usually one of the, one of the signs is uh, what they say: if there's a lot of what's so-called retail investors piling in, it's an indicator it's towards the end of the mo- end of the cycle and the bubble may be about to pop. So if you get on the pub and somebody starts to ask you about property, it doesn't mean there's going to be a property bubble. But if everybody does the same thing and it's you know it's it's all over the news uh, and the media, then yeah, it could be a sign that we're at the top of the cycle. Um, another indicator is withdrawal of foreign investment, and uh, uh, an example could be Brexit. I'm going to say that um, it could also be uh, an, a high sterling valuation uh, as well. So, if if foreign money starts to leave the country, and this this affects particular regions more than others, so London could be quite highly affected by this. Let's say then um, you know Newcastle. Just to pick, pick a couple of places. Um, so it, but it doesn't automatically follow that we've got a bubble and it's about to crash. Um, as I said, it's about piecing these things together. So I'm not particularly panicked about Brexit. I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as a lot of people make out. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not making a political comment. I'm just making an, a rational observation, if you like, of what I think will actually happen. But you know, significant withdrawals of foreign investment. Let's leave it at that. You know, that could actually give rise to, to certainly in high investment locations, uh, property prices softening, uh, if not crashing, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Interest rate rises kind of alluded to it earlier, Um, but of course if we have an interest rate rise it makes mortgages less affordable, Uh, finances can get stressed Um, Especially, uh, of course, this is felt if people have got variable rate mortgages or they're on short-term fixes. So We've just seen a quarter of a percent rise in bank-based rate. I'm not overly concerned about that, in all honesty. Even if it goes up by another half or 1% or 2%, I'm not concerned about that as long as it happens gradually in a controlled fashion. But if you start to see interest rates rising quickly, then that's slightly different and we need to take uh, account of that. So there are other things that can take place because if interest rates are rising, but rents are also rising, then there's a degree of protection there. So it's in combination, isn't it? So if interest rates are rising, but rents are either stagnant or falling, then there's pressure on the market. It would suggest that perhaps we're in bubble territory and things have become a little bit more unsustainable. We've got something that's called reversion to the mean. So this is really that uh, if you look at uh, prices of any asset over an extended period of time, the mean is the average over time. So, you know, property prices have increased on average uh, over the long period. In fact, got some data here. It's from Nationwide. Um, The average since 1952 is 8.1%. Um, which is quite a staggering number, actually. Um, I I still can't get my head around how we've managed to have an average house price growth of 8.1% when we've got um, retail price index and uh, wage inflation, which is much below that figure. So, um, yeah, anyway, needless to say, the mean, the average, is 8.1%. But in the last 10 years, the average price increase has been 2.1%. And the last 20 years, 7.2% last 30 is 6.1%. but So I'm not saying it would necessarily go automatically to 8.1%. I think we had um, some very high growth, particularly in the 70s, for example. I'm not sure if we're going to repeat that, but 2.1% in the last 10 years would suggest that it's not in bubble territory. Um, obviously, if we're starting to get the 8.9%, which we did see at one point in time, it suggests that things are running ahead of, ahead of themselves. So. What this means is that the, um, eventually house prices will revert to the mean. So if, if you've got massive growth at some point, 10-20% growth, it suggests it, it's unsustainable. And at some point in time, prices are going to soften. Maybe they're going to crash and co- or correct, to give it probably a better, better phrase, and uh, revert to the mean over the long run. So watch out for that. Then we have certain things like oversupply. Now in, generally in the UK we've got an undersupply of housing. It's been spoken about and I spoke about it quite a lot but've um, we got, um, and if we've got things like oversupply taking place and if you think particularly city centre apartments during the last financial crisis and uh, and I, I've always look at Dublin, Dublin as an example people were buying uh, sorry building houses in dublin but there wasn't the fundamental demand from the locals for those houses so at some point in time you know you just got this glut of properties in fact you've got a couple of ghost towns in ireland uh, as a result of oversupply uh and, and and it's taken many many years for the for those to to recover they've been repossessed they've been empty properties because you know there wasn't the inherent demand for them so just look at what's going on look at the rate of house building in an area and look at the actual demand local demand for housing in that area and if you think that there's some oversupply taking place then perhaps best steer away from it uh, often, what you find, by the way, accompanied by this, is fantastic deals from developers. You know, when they start throwing in free furniture packs, and you know, I've seen seen one recently where they give away a car. Buy a house, you get a free car. That's a worry, isn't it? <laughs> Someone can afford to give you a car. Uh, there's there's something going wrong. So they just, you know, some, that's a little bit of anecdotal in uh, support, really, to this oversupply point. So oversupply is the key message. Then, of course, we've got some economic signals as well. So recession is the biggest one. So in a recession, we have high interest rates and high unemployment. Typically, uh, we, we often have rapid interest rate rises as well. So coupling this with other things. So if we're in the middle of a recession, it doesn't automatically mean we're going to have, have a housing price crash. But of course, there's going to be pressure on people's uh, uh, finances and there's going to be less ability to afford rising prices. So things might stagnate. They could even ease off, or correct, or even crash. So look out for the economic signals in the wider economy. Then we have some more specific property indicators. So we've been talking a lot about some of the wider economics, but in property indicators, um, you know, we, if we start to get um, house price growth, high house price growth, but without high rental growth. That's something to watch out for is we get a mismatch in, in some of the data. So if you have high, high, oh, high house price growth coupled with high rental growth, perhaps is less of a concern. But if you start to see prices uh, going at, at well ahead of rents, as I mentioned earlier, then maybe that's something to worry about. Similarly, vacancy rates. So vacancy rates or average time on the market, whether it's a a property for sale or property property for rent is something to watch out for. And if you start to see vacancy rates or average time on the market increasing, it might suggest there's an oversupply, which is something I just referred to. If we start to see prices outstripping the intrinsic value or the rebuild cost of properties, it might suggest that, you know, there's a bit of a a, a bubble or a premium um, in the pricing there. So watch out for that. Of course, you can have what's called suspension of disbelief. So. <laughs> you might spot the, the trends and go and talk to people, and they go, No, nah, no, nah, it's not going to happen. It's different this time, and you know, it's all going to be great. And whenever you're seeing house prices drop and all that sort of stuff, just you know, they can't believe it. And it's like, Well, hang on a minute, the data's there. It's just that, and it, you know, people people's mindset isn't buying into it. So just watch out for the herd mentality. You just think, Oh, no, it's all going to be fine. The only way is up, as they say. And of course, you get this fear of missing out uh, taking place as well. So remember what Warren Buffett says, be fearful when others are greedy, but be greedy when others are fearful. So when people are are, are worried or afraid of missing out, they're piling into the market. Everyone's buying houses, everyone's flipping houses without doing anything to them. That's probably the time to sit tight. And uh, I'm just going to ref- reference the tulip mania, uh, Dutch tulip mania from the 1630s, which was a classic bubble. And in that point in time, you had a tulip, which is a flower, which uh, which was selling for over a hundred times the annual wage at the time. It just—it's incredible, isn't it? It's just to think that a flower that you know, is not going to live and look pretty for very long could be sold for such a high value. So way above its intrinsic value, I think, is the takeaway lesson there. But specifically coming back to property, you've got things like gazumping, sealed bid auctions, where things are going way above the asking price, uh, a lack of affordable homes in a local area, some parts of london are displaying this but it can be masked to some extent by the foreign and domestic investors who can maybe afford more than locals to go in there so you know just look at the the data as a whole is what i'm saying um you know affordability in certain parts of london is is you know extremely high um low actually you know the multiple against um against take home pay is really, really high. That's my point. But um, it's been supported, if you like, by a lot of investors, in particular foreign investors who look at London as a safe haven. So it doesn't necessarily mean there's a bubble. But of course, if you add other things to that, like a withdrawal of foreign investment, then perhaps you might see those prices uh, softening. So there's a number of property indicators that you could look out for as well and then we get some more anecdotal cues so the world's tallest building records tumbling quickly uh, lavish government spending on public works fueled by by debt um, repossession starting to to rise along with other indicators of bad debt increasing so these these are these are cues if you like if you start to see the the world's tallest building going up uh, and, and the record being broken several times in short uh, short time that's maybe the time to uh, to to look at other indicators and and be a little bit concerned. So that's what I wanted to go through there. I did refer to Minsky earlier on, and I'm just gonna come to that. Minsky uh, was uh, an economist, if you like, who uh, looked at stages of an asset bubble. So I think it's really good to to relay what he actually said, which is about to do uh, right now. Uh, So he had these five stages, The, the first of which was displacement. displacement means uh, we got a new paradigm or a new normal if you like so for example look we've had a a decade of record low interest rates that's a new paradigm isn't it so displacement it's an indicator that's where we perhaps have been in the uh, in the cycle there um, in terms of the stage of an asset bubble then after displacement comes boom so this is where prices rise slowly initially and then they gain more momentum as more and more people pile in there's lots of media coverage fear of missing out and there's uh, more retail investors or everyday Joes piling in. Then you get to euphoria and this is where prices skyrocket and the greater fool theory kicks in. Valuations surpass any sort of fundamental measures and in fact new valuation methods start to emerge so you start reading the uh, the Daily Mail or something and it starts to talk about a completely new uh, model you know everyone everyone should be piling into property everything is going really really hot and we've got some sort of new measure which justifies it's all okay yeah we're in euphoria uh, phase of the market and if you just look back over time those indicators were there uh, certainly in the last uh, financial crash prior to it rather. The fourth stage is profit-taking and really the profit-taking is by the smart money. Uh, So people who've got their finger on the pulse and are looking at the real data and not just the mood of the moment, they start to sell and they start to take their profit and bank their gains. The problem is it's hard to time things completely accurately. I mentioned the 18-year property cycle isn't always exactly 18 years. It could be 15, could be 20, on average it's 18. So when do you actually take your money out? When do you sit tight? Um, you could lose five years, uh, just those two extremes. Uh, of course, if you try and sit, uh, go in too late, you, you, know, you, could, you could get caught by it. So um, it's hard to time and it's difficult to spot. So when is the smart money coming out? Sometimes it's just one or two lone voices who are starting to exit. You know, and if you start to see some substantial portfolio landlords cashing in at what seems to be in you know, market, you know, highs in the market, Mm, Just think about it for a minute. Why are they selling right now? Uh, What do they know that we don't know? So um, profit taking. And the last stage is panic. So this is where uh, asset prices start to reverse. People uh, in fear they start selling, uh, which worsens the problem, of course, and uh, leads to people wanting to liquidate at any cost. Uh, another uh, factor at this point in time is you see banks are also panicking and they're calling in loans. Uh, they're strengthening terms or they're asking for you to pay down some of the money. Uh, maybe they're, they're, they're toughening up on their enforcement and their, and their sort of terms of doing business with you. So they're the five stages that Minsky outlined of the uh, of an asset bubble. And you can fit some of what I've been speaking about, the indicators of what I've been speaking out into those five stages, can't you? So, just pausing for a second. So now we know what some of the indicators are. What can we do potentially to protect ourselves against the uh, falling foul of a property bubble? Well, quite handily, I've come up with a list of 10 things that we could do. So I'm just going to rattle through these for you right now. The first one uh, is to have some equity in our property. Um, now, ideally, we could do with 40 percent equity uh, in our property. So this is where the loan to value might be 60 percent, 40 percent equity, 60 percent debt. Um, And and ideally more. But I realise that uh, this might be a challenge, especially initially uh, when we're starting out or when we're growing our portfolio. However, if we keep this figure in mind, uh, the sort of 40% equity mark, uh, and try to avoid remortgaging back up to 75% loan to value all the time, it's the, the main trap that people can fall into. So personally, I do tend to take 75% loan-to-value mortgages initially when I, when I take on a property. And even with a BRR, or buy, refurbish, refinance strategy, I look to pull out around about 80% or more of my starting capital. Again, leaving something like 75% loan-to-value of the increased value of the property. However, I rarely refinance again at a higher amount after this and uh, I'll just let natural house prices and indeed potentially paying down the mortgage reduce my loan to value over time. So You know, I I take 75% mortgage, but then I'm looking to sort of let that uh, loan to value average fall over time and I'm getting quite close as a portfolio to this 60% uh, loan to value across the whole board there. So I'm still growing. So it does mean my average is slightly above 60% at this moment, but uh, I've got other things I'm doing as well to help protect me. Don't worry about me. And, um, you know, that's it. So first one is have some equity in your property. The second one is have some liquid cash set aside. Now, ideally, have a contingency fund in cash or some easy access savings or in an emergency situation only, a credit card with plenty of headroom. Obviously, taking on debt in the middle of a crisis is probably not a good thing to do. So the credit card idea is literally just kind of a get out of jail. um, Not so much free, but get out of jail card that uh, you might use in a sort of emergency situation, but you you know, you know shouldn't be looking to make a bad situation worse. So have some cash set aside. And I do remember hearing a, a while ago now, I haven't actually checked what the situation is today, but I do recall at one point hearing that Apple and a lot of other tech firms had something like a year's worth of expenditure set aside in cash. That's quite a good measure to aim at uh, a year's worth of expenditure. But you could look at this as a year's worth of mortgage payments um that kind of thing uh set aside as cash now of course that's an ideal it's probably also a tough ask especially when you're getting going um uh, but do ask yourself this if um how long could you keep going with your mortgage payments whether it's your home or on your investment properties if you've got no income coming in so if you've got no personal income you've got no rental income how long could you keep going that's what's called the burn rate and um, you'd be surprised, actually, not many. You know, a lot of people can't go for even a month. So that, that's a danger. So if, you're, if your burn rate is a month, you better do something about it. If your burn rate's 3, six, nine, 12 months, obviously the longer that number is, the better opportunity you've got surviving in case something happens. So uh, you can weather the storm. And of course, storms tend to happen quite often these days, as you'll see just by watching the news. So economic storms as well as uh, natural storms. The third one is force the appreciation, don't wait for it. So if you add value to your properties, you automatically add equity. And effectively, you can beat the market growth as a result of doing this. So it's an excellent way to protect your position in case prices should then drop. So forcing the appreciation by adding value to property rather than just waiting for these you know, house prices growth, which, which can happen just in a bubble and it can be taken away just as easily. So add value rather than uh, speculate on it arriving. Number four, invest for income, first of all so make sure you've got plenty of rental coverage over your mortgage payments to provide monthly cash flow to help build that liquid cash fund i spoke about then if interest rates rise you should still be able to cover the mortgage by all means have a bash at some capital growth um, strategies in the early stages of the property cycle but towards the peak so i'm giving some clues as to when the peak might arrive arise rather uh, switch into more income strategies or even sit it out for a while instead and wait for the buying opportunities that will soon emerge because they will number five is diversify your risk ideally we we don't want to have all of our eggs in one basket okay so if we've got enough money for one small property in durham that's okay but after that think of diluting your risk by having different property types so, flats and houses, as an example, uh, perhaps in different places. Uh, now, I know it doesn't really make sense to have one in every town in the country, but, um, you know, as, as we grow and our portfolio increases, heavy concentration, and, and there's pros and cons for this, but personally, I believe in having some level of diversification geographically. So personally, you may have heard me say I've got you know investments in, in four different countries, let alone different towns and cities in the UK. So I'm, I've got a bit of diversification, geographical diversification going on there. I've got I've got mainly houses, but I've got some apartments as well. I've got some larger houses and some smaller houses. So um, you know trying to diversify by property type, by geography, but also different strategy potentially. So buy to let is one strategy, buy to sell is another strategy. Uh, serviced accommodation or, or HMOs are, are a twist on the buy-to-let strategy so you don't you don't have to make every single deal different but do try to avoid over concentration to avoid being vulnerable to significant market or strategy shifts that can come about through a bubble. You should also consider spreading your investment fund across alternative asset classes not just property. I hear a lot of people say I want all of my money in property and I want it to be loads. Um, well. Is that really the wisest thing to do in reality? I, I might have been even guilty of that myself uh, when I first started out. But now I've introduced greater diversification into alternative asset classes uh, in my in my investment fund now. So I'm not just heavily weighted into property. I've got stocks and shares. I've got. I've even got a bit of Bitcoin after last week, but not a lot. <laughs> um, but they do say that gold and bonds are usually counter-cyclical. Cyclical to property and stocks, just as an example. So have a little bit of uh, diversification in asset class as well. Number six, go long. So what I mean here is have long term mortgages for long term buy and hold properties, not these three to five year commercial mortgages that you sometimes find. Um, a lot can happen in three to five years. So you're better off taking a, a genuine long term product. So a 20 or 25 year buy to let mortgage if you're, you've got a long term buy to let that you want to hold for the long term. So align the length of uh, term to the type of property strategy is the point. And similarly, Fix the interest rate um, as long as it's economic to do so and also aligns to your strategy. Well, obviously, if you intend to flip the property, don't take a 10-year fixed mortgage because uh, it's going to cost you a fortune to get out. But if you intend to hold it for 20 or 25 years, then go you know fix the mortgage for as long as possible. I would suggest five years as a minimum and, uh, and maybe even longer if you can afford to do that. I have actually seen recently that prices have been... Uh, it increased quite a lot for five year plus fixed rate mortgages, so there is a bit of a suggestion, if you like, that interest rates might rise over that period of time. So that's perhaps even more reason maybe to fix long, so don't necessarily be put off by that. But do the sums, in other words, and look at what I call total cost of financing. So over five year, if you've got a two year fixed rate loan, you're going to have to refinance or remortgage in two years. You've got more costs. Uh, that will take place in two years time which you wouldn't have if you had a five-year fix. So you'll pay a bit more for a five-year fix than a two-year fix but you'll pay more to refinance on a two-year fix than you would on a five-year fix. Of course in two years time the interest rate might also be higher as well. So uh, I've got a a buy-to-let finance strategy knocking around somewhere just let me know if you'd like a sight of that and I'll, I'll share it happily. Number seven, ride out the storm. Now in a crash uh, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, do and easy to say, but if you can hold your nerve and hold the property, you uh, possibly can um, you know, s- survive it. So after a storm, the sun always comes out again, eventually. <laughs> so if you can hold your nerve while those around you are losing theirs, you'll not only be in the minority, but you'll often end up in great shape as well. So just try and stick it out if you possibly can. And I'm talking about sticking it out by doing some sensible things, not just by burying your head in the sand and and just avoiding people knocking on the door, trying to repossess your property. Not saying that. I am saying try not to sell in a crash. That's more to the point. So uh, put some of the measures in place I've been speaking about and then you won't have to. Number eight, have multiple exit options. I usually have two and usually three alternative exits when I go into a deal. Can I uh, rent out a flip and still make money? can i sell a buy to let uh, and come out in the clear can i refinance onto a better long term finance product to buy more time can i switch strategy to say short term lets or hmos if i need to so when i'm assessing a project i consider what all my options are and um, you know i do look at these potential alternatives can i can i put them in place could i live with it it might not be the best deal in the world if I intended to flip it and I have to keep it and rent it out. I have done that in the past and it wasn't the greatest return on, an, on investment I achieved, but it was acceptable. And that's my point. So um, when assessing a project, consider what the options are. And, uh, and if there really is only one show in town, you better make sure it's a bloody good one. That's all I can say. So have fallbacks. If you don't have fallbacks, just make sure that the potential reward is so big that, you know, hopefully it's going to offset some of the risk that you might take from only having one exit. Number nine, stress test your portfolio. The best stress test that I've seen is a spreadsheet that accompanied an article called House of Cards, which was produced by an investor called Ed Atkinson. And I featured Ed uh, previously uh, on the podcast. Now, this um, this spreadsheet, it models all of the major recessions over the past 100 years. And it allows you to see how your portfolio would fare in each of them. So it's, it's modeling recessions, you know, particularly more so than property bubbles. But, you know, a lot of the characteristics are similar, let's say. And so um, I was pleased when I got a bit of a green light when I plugged my portfolio in when I last uh, did the exercise. So drop me a line if you want a copy of the uh, House of Cards article and accompanying spreadsheet, and uh, I'll gladly send that to you. Uh, But even if you don't do this, i.e. get a copy of the spreadsheet, then do model your portfolio with alternative interest rates at, say, 5% higher than your existing mortgage rate and... Uh, also, uh, let's say a 20% or more price drop in in-house prices. What sort of shape might you be in if uh, if you're under those circumstances? And if it's not so great, maybe you're amber or even red instead of green in the traffic-like example that I'm, I'm outlining here. Then maybe it's a good idea to make some plans to mitigate the position uh, whilst you still can. And you've got uh, perhaps an opportunity to make some changes rather than being in a, in a crisis situation in the middle of a bubble. And uh clue it could be by following some of the suggestions I've been making throughout the, uh, this episode today. Number 10, uh, buy low, sell high. It sounds really obvious, doesn't it? But it's actually hard to do. Uh, And what I really mean here is is try and avoid buying during the so-called winner's curse phase of the property cycle. So the winner's curse phase comes from the 18-year property cycle. And it's it's when the world's tallest skyscrapers are going up and gazumping is being discussed by cabbies. Uh, These are the ways, you know, sorry, there are ways to still buy at this point in time. For example, if you can genuinely add value. But do try to avoid buying at the peak of the market uh, and just riding the wave if you possibly can. So buy buy low, sell high or don't buy at all in that sort of winner's curse phase if you can identify it. Hopefully I've given some clues as to when to identify it. So there we are then signs of a bubble and ten ways to protect yourself when it happens. I, I will say this bubbles happen with a combination of factors and not just one, as I mentioned right at the beginning. So if you see one of the warning signs that I've mentioned, for example, increases in interest rates or or Brexit, one of those, you know, is a warning sign. Each of those rather is a warning sign. It does not automatically mean we're about to enter into a property bubble and see a housing crash. (laughs) Just as a change in how you're feeling could be an indication that you're suffering some sort of illness. And so let's say you have an upset stomach. It doesn't automatically mean that you have appendicitis. It could just mean you've had a dodgy dodgy curry the night before. So a bit of a silly example, perhaps. But I just want to illustrate the point, you know, that one indicator does not mean a bubble. So look for patterns and trends and clusters of the warning signs instead. And if you start to see several warning signs starting to accumulate, start to add to one another and start to just keep repeating, then perhaps it's time to take some defensive action and sit things out for a while. So that's my discussion on property bubbles. Hopefully that's been useful to you. Um, the show notes will be over at the website too, if you want to just go into a bit more detail. But right now, I just want to uh, dive into something quite different with The Shoutout.
0: And now, where you can go for more great resources with
1: The shout-out. Before I go today, and I think it's probably opportune actually, I bring this in at this point in time. When we're talking about defending uh, or protecting ourselves against bubbles, um, one of the ways, or you know, potentially uh, several ways of doing it, I mentioned are building in equity or ha- having higher returns or income income uh, strategies, let's say, as opposed to capital growth or uh, speculation strategies. So. It's quite timely really that I should talk about a new service that the Property Voice has uh, has just launched and it's called Property Deal Tips. Now um, it's some, there's something from ev- for everyone really because we look at buy to lets, uh, buy refurbish refinance and flip projects. So fairly vanilla which is going to cover most people's interests who are looking at you know those core property strategies. So obviously it's not rent to rent and things like that. It's, you know, you're going to have to have some money available to invest in these projects. So if it's a straightforward buy to let, uh, I always look for projects that can deliver at least a 10% return on investment on a straightforward buy to let. Similarly, buy, refurbish, refinance, 10% return on investment on the funds that you leave invested in the deal after a refinancing. And, And flip projects. A minimum of ten percent return on investment uh, on your cash funds for doing a flip. So that's that's my criteria. Every single pro- project that I share through Property Deal Tips has got a minimum of ten percent return on investment. And of course, some of those are flips, so you're just trading property, and some of those are buy-and-hold strategies. Some have got a project, some haven't got a project. So something for everyone, I think you'll find. And just to illustrate, the uh, in the last week uh, I shared four project uh, four property tips. Uh, And these are pointers to properties that are on the market. So you just go and buy. I tell you where they are. Uh, We've done some analysis. we give you the results. And we just say go. Go and find that property. Go and negotiate and buy it. yourself. an example last week, or four examples last week, we had a a two-bedroom flat in the West Midlands as a ready-to-rent buy-to-let, which had a 10.5% annual return on investment. Then we had a a two-bedroom flat in Wiltshire as an ideal refurb and flip project with a 12% return on investment. A three-bed terraced house in uh, South Yorkshire, ready to rent, buy to let, again, similar to the first one, with a 10% annual return on investment. Yes, these deals are actually out there. And uh, a two-bed end of terrace in South Yorkshire, again, which could work either as a flip with a 10% return on investment, so if you just wanting to get in and out and take your money out, or our preference, actually, is a buy, refurbish, refinance, leaving uh, 13% annualized return on investment after the refinancing has taken place, obviously after you've done the project. So, you know, a couple of examples of just rate by to let, uh, buy to let without a project. Um, and there's a couple of projects, if you like. So, there's the refurb and flip, uh, or there's the buy, refurbish, refinance, or, or flip option in, in South Yorkshire or, or Wiltshire, as I mentioned. So, something for everyone, hopefully. And um, in the last week, that's, uh, there was £37,500 thereabouts in, in in flip potential flip projects, uh, or 7200 a year in net cash flow just from those four deals and they all had as I mentioned uh, they had a a 10% or more return on on uh, your cash investment and this was just one week of the new service so what's not to like Um, similarly we've got a 28-day risk-free trial and a money-back guarantee so uh, there's nothing to lose really by giving it a bash I haven't got my teeth in today Anyway, the subscription is just £97 a year or £9.97 a month, depending on which way you want to go. Uh, So it's even better than we had a similar service that was running before. So it's even better value than that. And if you'd like to see more details and more deals just like this, then head over to the new Property Deal Tips page uh, and just sign up. And you'll find that at thepropertyvoice.net slash tips all one word. And uh, I'd love to see you join the community that's growing already. So head over to there, uh, sign up to Property Deal Tips and bag yourself a decent uh, project that maybe has a little bit of uh, property price bubble uh, built into it by having some increased equity or having some high cash flow. Just saying. OK, so um, that's it for today. Talked about bubbles, uh, how you perhaps protect against them. And of course, the property deal tips uh, service, which um, I'm sure many of you will find very, very useful in saving time, uh, saving money and making profit for your property deals as well. So something hopefully that's uh, appealing to everybody who's listening today. But, of course, you can email me, as always, uh, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net if you want to talk about anything from today's show. Obviously, if you want the, um, the spreadsheet and the article, the House of Cards one, that's where to, uh, to get hold of me and uh, anything else to do with property for that matter. And equally, the show notes are going to be over the website, propertyvoice.net. Don't forget, Property Deal Tips, thepropertyvoice.net slash tips. But for now, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao.
0: Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.